Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host It Is What It Is. And it's somehow already preemptively sad that there aren't more Thanksgiving leftovers. That's why you got you to gotta make a lot of things. Yeah, it's like one of those things where I always, I feel like when you get to about 7 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day, it's like, man, I wish we'd have made whatever you didn't make. Like you make 18 things and then you're like, oh, we didn't make shells and cheese, like just mac and cheese. That's all we have. Like I'm a, I could really go for like a scoop of corn pudding right now or something ridiculous that is just not at my house that's what i want but um i'm i'm very excited for the amount of food that i'm going to consume over thursday and friday combined and then maybe into saturday but probably just thursday and friday usually it's like just a small uh small tupperware of turkey like the gross parts of the turkey that's what's left in my fridge uh by saturday morning that i'm just like pouring gravy on and eating like cereal and crying while you're wearing your house pants always wearing my house pants. house pants all weekend baby i love it i love it that's fancy um our other bestie over here colin hoggard columnist and contributor for the riot report he's bracing himself for the cranberry jokes how many can we get into an episode do we think uh, you know cranberry is important you guys know what a, what what a vital part of the holiday celebration is for me but i have been informed that there will be no turkey at my Thanksgiving this year. And, and 2020 has taken enough from me. I, I, I'm, I'm told I don't have access to an oven because it's already been spoken for because of green bean casseroles and things like that, which are important. And I love it, but I have no turkey and I'm trying to deal. So how many green bean casseroles are you going to make? I, I, I just, I'm just following. I'm just, I just, I don't, I need, I feel like we need some more deets because I don't, I just don't understand. I'm being told there's no turkey. So is there a meat of any sort? And I I say this as a proud 90% vegetarian, but you need some sort of meat. What about your protein? Yeah. The protein. Uh, Ham. Well, I do like ham. That's weird though. too. I don't, yeah. Ham and gravy. Mm, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of our guest for uh, it's, just it is sitting it is angrily sucked. and not not jumping in because he has so many things he wants to say about this Sucked. and that you could just you could just sense how how just like he's, the smolder that's coming off of his Zoom square right now is is borderline incredible. Are are you celebrating Easter? I'm confused about <laughs> what exactly is happening. I've been told that somebody doesn't celebrate Turkey and, and they're in a decision-making position. It's a small group. We're trying to be responsible. It's, it's, I'm, I'm just grinning and bearing it at this point. And it's now, talking myself into the King's Hawaiian rolls with ham and a little uh, mustard as my afternoon delight. Now, does that you, mean there's no cranberry if there's no turkey? Of course, of course there's cranberry. <laughs> so sad to start the show what a terrible way to start i don't blame you because robin robin's gonna be there robin will be there dressed up sliding out of his can looking slim as always Mm. he'll be there no batman ham biscuit it'll be fine it'll be fine i'll bring turkey and i'll bring you leftovers i literally have a vegetarian wife and i'm having turkey at my house just rub it in okay i'm gone it's happening just 
Stop dwelling. We're being shut out of team. Seventh time in team history. We get a shutout. We got to dwell on this. I don't want to talk about it. I'm gonna rub it in like we got like we're rubbing in the brine on that turkey. Is that a good? Is that a good joke? That's not good. No. Can I take that one more time? Do you I'm gonna try again. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna rub it in like uh. No, I got nothing. That was all I got. Damn. And now you're not gonna go back and edit it. So now you got yeah. two in there. No, there you go. Um, I think we need to bring our guests in before his head explodes. On the one-day contract this week, Nick Wilson, host of Afternoons with Nick Wilson on WFNZ, large human, and is ready to defend pecan as the best Thanksgiving pie. Ooh, that's bold. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, pumpkin. Your ass is trash. Uh, cherry, uh, you go in the trash next to pumpkin. There is one pie above all pie, and that is pecan pie. And I'm not saying that to pander to my southern base here. I'm saying that because as a uh, you know, native uh, Yankee, I was always furious on Thanksgiving when there was no pecan pie, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Oh, go ahead, guys. If, he can't, if, he, if I can't attack pumpkin uh, spice lattes, surely pumpkin pie is off limits. Well, I mean, I like to have a pumpkin. I feel like it's for tradition. I like pumpkin pie at my Thanksgiving on my Thanksgiving spread. A little overrated, isn't it? That's mm -hmm. a that's a first world problem. I listen. I'm not going to eat it, but I'd like to. I'd like to walk past it and choose something other than it, uh, just out of tradition. I like to have it in my Instagram picture when I take the overhead shot. That I want like the pumpkin pie with a slice missing out of it. That's what I need. But I'm. I, I mean, I'll, don't get me wrong. I'm gonna have multiple slices of pie once the once the meal has been finished, and uh, and and pecan is gonna be one of them, and pumpkin is gonna be in the other. Is, is I think is apple it, out? You mentioned cherry, but is apple out? I like apple. Apple's okay. Okay. I can do well, apple. Is it is it apple with ice cream? Because apple with vanilla ice cream is better than pecan pie. Colin, I, I'm over 350 pounds. You damn well know it, it is I apple to make sure pie we with were... ice cream. <laughs> Just want to make sure we were we were judging appropriately, you know. It's like asking the Stay Puff man, "Hey, is there sugar in this?" Of course, there's <laughs> sugar in this, and then there's more sugar. All right, it's called diabetes, my friend, and you're looking square in the eyes of it. The alamode is implied. The only question is if there's cheese melted on top. What? Yeah, what? apple pie with cheese—that's a thing, right? It is a thing. I've Thank never you, done it. I have heard that it's a thing. Josh, how many people have you murdered? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take that's that question psycho off killer. Yeah, okay. I <laughs> tell I me where the bottom. Yeah, see I that's that's the that's this one where it's like to me it's like ah oh, apple pie. You got the ice cream and you're like ah ah, ah. let's go, let's open up that Needs plastic a slice cheese. Of American on there. Yeah. What what drug led to this? Because this is not the 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 Native Americans and the the uh, no Native American or Pilgrim was like ah that apple pie let's get some cheese for that that hasn't happened in the first two hundred years clearly we've all been living that first world life for too long it had to have happened when the baby boomers got you know fat and cocky I gotta know when this who was the first person to drop acid and be like oh i need cheese on this i that there has to be a drug associated with this i think it was definitely a man that it did this first because mm -hmm. it, they, they were using the cheese as instead of having an actual plate but trying to avoid getting yelled at for having crumbs and then accidentally bit into the cheese a little bit and was like you know apparently this is a thing or it should be a thing that felt like i was there watching it happen <laughs> 
It's like how they have a cheeseburger with grilled cheese instead of buns. It's like a grilled I'll, cheese with apple pie instead of bread. Yeah. I'll use anything to not to avoid having a plate. Paper towels. Let's go. That, that didn't sell it, Josh. That no, that sounded more disgusting. It sounded <laughs> That made it much worse for yeah. me. Yeah. So, but, yeah. but once again, if anybody tried to put cheese on my pecan pie, they would just be out buried out back with uh, with Lassie and my other cats. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on team Nick with this one because my brother does not celebrate birthday cake, which meant that every birthday of his, he got pumpkin pie. So it, instead of me getting to celebrate my brother's birthday and be happy for him, I was always disappointed. But, you know, teacher. Now, did he choose the pumpkin pie or was that a parental decision to choose pumpkin pie? Well, mom did the grocery shopping. She would pick the pumpkin pie, but I mean, so we got a beef with mom. Okay. No, he made the pumpkin pie selection, but she would. Oh, okay. So, okay. Well, we listen, we won't talk about it anymore. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And this is why I'm having ham on Thanksgiving. Do you not think these things might be related? (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's all be on the record here. Ham is a fine thing to have on Easter or Thanksgiving, even Christmas, but it cannot or Tuesday or Wednesday, there's seven days of the week, but it cannot substitute for Turkey. Having no Turkey, Thanksgiving Turkey on Thanksgiving, is it really even Thanksgiving? I would say not. The defense rests. I will be using this (laughs) as a family submission. This will be evidence submitted. I'll clip this video for you and you just show it to Becky and I'm sure it'll be, everything will be fine. I'm sure she'll be, she'll be like, oh, well, I guess let me go to the store. Really banking our listening this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough nonsense. We're jumping right into football. Let's start with news update. So in injury news, Dante, CMC, Okun, is everyone still out this week? What are we looking at? Out until the bye? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before last week and two weeks ago, right? Uh, like the idea of bringing these guys back, if they have a lingering injury, bring them back before the bye, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. The only guy that's going to come back is Teddy Bridgewater because you would you would literally I think you have to like Tanya Harding him on both knees to keep him off that field in Minnesota. How how crazy is this? I mean, listen, they they won this last game. That was so much fun. Uh, we needed that in the worst way. That five game losing streak sucked in the most significant of manners. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't make sense to hodgepodge it for me. I'm not saying that I want them to lose against Minnesota because it would make it tough. Minnesota's a better team than Detroit is, and they've been a better team more recently. But I just can't for the life of me figuring out putting Teddy behind uh, behind this offensive line without Russell, with a couple other guys dinged up as well, and there's no McCaffrey, and there's no additional players out there. I just I really worry about trying to rush him out there because he wants to be out there. I'm all about minimizing the risk until this team is a little bit healthier. Because, again, as we saw this last week, they can play winning football without Teddy and without the other members of this team. I'm just terrified of putting Teddy out there as the only regular starter while everybody else, the the other key important players, not named Brian Burns and Jeremy Chin, aren't able to go. I do think we'll see, you know, Dante continue to sit out through the bye week. It makes sense. We've been talking about this toe. You know, with having this buy, maybe they did try and get, you know, steal two extra weeks, you know, um, with that for the only cost of a couple games and try and get him back in um, for the home stretch. You know, Nick, I hadn't really thought about it until you you mentioned it with Teddy, but I think think it certainly is interesting um, as we go forward because everything about 
this this Sunday that we saw, you know, the Lions, I'm not worried about them. Focusing on Matt Rule coming out of, you know, saying he was disappointed in, in their effort and everything. I think the hay's in the barn for this season. So I, I, I think I'm with you that and I hadn't considered it, but I think I I think we do need to consider whether or not Teddy plays. The, I, so there's go ahead, Josh. Uh, well I just don't I, I guess is he gonna I guess you're gonna give it another two weeks to heal and then he's gonna be hundred percent and he comes back against Denver with again behind what I would imagine will be the same bad offensive line because it's not like even when Russell and John Miller were out there that they were you know that they were given him uh more than three seconds to run to, to play and I understand if he was the question is the, the problem is that we have to take Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater's word for it on this is that when Matt Rule comes out on Sunday and says telling Teddy that he couldn't play because he was so ready was one the hardest decision of my eight-year head coaching career. When Teddy says, I was ready to go on Sunday, I wanted to play on Sunday, and they still set him out for an extra week. If he was truly ready to go and he, w- and he felt healthy enough and Matt Rule felt like it was such a hard decision to keep him off the field, if you give him another week to rest, shouldn't he be ready to go? And then if he's not ready this week, then when it, is, is it going to be – is two more weeks enough to be ready? No, I mean, I think that's a fair question. And listen, I, I like Matt a lot. I think Matt has proven in the 11 games so far that he's a really good head coach. And I, there is there's certainly, to what you're speaking, there is a certain amount of let's trust coach on this. So I, I, I buy into that. I would also say MCL's sprains scare me. And they scare me because we know that there is a chance, much like with Christian's uh, high ankle sprain, there is a chance that if, if it's still even a little bit, if he was having swelling late in that week, which was the, the popular report that he was still having swelling even on game day, it swelled up a little bit. So if that's true, if there's still swelling, I just can't risk it. Because here's the thing, there's this next game, win or lose, there's nothing that can happen in this game that is going to change my opinion on Teddy Bridgewater. That they, you know, Teddy's already played enough within this offense, enough with the guys around him, that we see who he is with this team. That doesn't mean I want him gone for the rest of the season, but I want him gone until there's absolutely no risk left with that MCL sprain where there's no swelling. And if that's this week, that's cool. But I also, every much like with Christian McCaffrey, they, he was going to be out with that ankle sprain anywhere from four to six weeks. They kept him out six weeks, and that might have cost you the Atlanta game, but so be it. You you didn't need to see Christian McCaffrey against Atlanta to know what you have. It wasn't worth the potential risk. Again, we're going to have to we'll, – I hate saying this. We'll, we'll, we'll trust coach on it, but, man, I think I would personally feel better if we, if we waited until after the bye because – if he, if Teddy were to get hurt, or if that MCL sprain tears in, or turns into an MCL sprain, then it throws off this entire off season. It throws off, you know, uh, does that mean it? Maybe we should time uh, heighten the, the timetable for a young quarterback. All those kind of questions that right now you want to be organic questions and not questions of need or necessitated by a significant injury. I think those questions are going to get asked either way. I mean, I think that even if he plays, whether he plays the next five games or and went and goes, well, I guess if he goes five and zero, oh, probably not. But if he plays the next five games or miss or doesn't play another snap, I think you're going to be asking questions about whether or not they should be drafting a young quarterback with whatever pick it is, because no matter where, as we have seen, 
with a uh, with a team in the NFL, whether it's this team or any other team, unless you have the franchise guy completely, everyone in the in the building is behind him. Then those questions are always going to get asked, no matter where you're picking. And I'm not sure that's the case um, with Teddy. I think that's an interesting point. I, I would say the big thing for me is so so maybe maybe I approached the the previous thing the wrong way. There's nothing that this game is going to either persuade or dissuade them from taking a quarterback outside of an injury. And I I think the mm-hmm. way I wanted to phrase it there was uh, you know I want the question to be organic. So. I, listen, until they have a franchise quarterback, you're 100% right. Like, until they have that guy on the roster, that's going to be what we're going to be chasing. It just matters if it's this year or next year or three years from now. If you get into a Mahomes situation, um, uh, Alex Smith Mahomes situation where it's four or five years into being somewhere, you know, I, I think all the possibilities are possible. I, when the Panthers are on the clock, whether that's with the sixth pick or the 11th pick, wherever they end up picking, 15th pick, I don't want it to be quarterback or bust a Teddy injury, I think can maybe make you lean into thinking about taking a quarterback. I want it to be all right. You're picking 12th. Kyle Trask is going to be the fourth quarterback off the board, but we have him rated as the second best quarterback. It's an opportunity too good to pass up. I, I think that's more what I think about when I, the quarterback question is absolutely going to be there, but I want that decision to flow gracefully. I don't want it to be forced because we've seen, you know, good regimes or apparently you know, regimes that we think have upside end up being ruined because of that desperation of, well, this guy, you know, this guy can't stay healthy or this guy is hurt and he might not be ready. So we need to have a backup option. I, I don't want the Panthers to be forced into making a desperate decision. And maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching a little bit there. I, I don't think you're reaching. I think you, as you look forward, like what's to gain in the last month? plus this season versus what you could lose. Absolutely. A catastrophic injury would be one of the things that could, uh, that could alter your plan. And I, I do want to talk about that, but I think, I think really to, to, to talk about Teddy, I think we have to talk about Sunday because for, for the first time, Teddy Bridgewater had to watch somebody else play quarterback, the Carolina Panthers when it was supposed to be his job. And that young man in his first start did a pretty okay job, did a pretty okay job. Uh, but made throw, made plays and made throws that Teddy himself has not made, and I think that that's a good thing. And I'm so on one hand, I'm with Nick, but based on what we saw, I'm also curious to see Teddy kind of dance back, so to speak, to to prove that this is his job. Yeah, I, you know, so I think you're not the only person to feel like that. I think what's fascinating is this opened up a whole nother can of worms. Listen, I saw the two interceptions, and that that to me says that there are some inaccuracies with PJ, that some of it's about footwork, and some of it's just about his skill set as a, as a quarterback. There was a reason why he was an undrafted free agent and why he was in the XFL. I, but I understand the impulse, and I'm – I would I they'll never tell us because Matt Rule doesn't say anything in his press conferences. I would be curious how they felt PJ looked within that, whether they walked away from saying, Oh, we've got a backup we can trust, or whether because he's still so young, much like with Teddy. Teddy's only twenty seven years old. He's got what, forty five career starts to his career. And, you know, you can trick yourself into thinking that. I I hope nobody's thinking about that just yet. One game, one game sample sizes are so tricky in the NFL. 
I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying him taking his job. I'm just saying that the act of being the starting quarterback and then watching somebody else go out there and do what you're supposed to do while you're sitting on the sidelines and seeing the offense and DJ Moore get unlocked in ways that you haven't, maybe with some balls that you haven't been willing to throw because you felt secure in your position and didn't need to force it. We don't need to press things. Whatever. All I'm saying is I want to see what this, what this does to Teddy, if this lights a fire under Teddy. Because I was Team Teddy. I was the guy that said he was one of one in this offseason that, that I thought they would – they were bringing Teddy Bridgewater in, not just, you know, random 27-year-old quarterback. They were bringing him in. And I don't think he's really grasped the job to the point that we would we had hoped, to the point that you're talking about, you know, already you're talking about looking ahead for a quarterback, and that's always going to be on the table. But if he had played at a level that, you know, we'd hoped and, and this offense could deliver with CMC, I don't think it feels as pressing a conversation. So what's kind of fascinating about this is – I. I have said that Teddy has been better than who we thought he was going to be because the context around him has been awful. You know, the the offensive line has been one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. This defense up until – they played twice. The the Chargers game and the Bucks game – sorry, the Chargers game and this last week are the only two times they've been in the positive on expected points contributed by the defense all year long. And most of the time, you're talking about minus 20, minus 30, which puts you within the worst teams of the NFL. So my the, the tough thing for me is, and this goes back to why I'm, I wouldn't bug me if they sat him out one more week, is with Teddy, if, if all we say going into this offseason, well, I had 14 games, and he looked pretty good at points, but you know, he also had some moments where he struggled because of what was around him. Then to me, and, and his numbers look what they do right now, then to me, he overachieved because my biggest doubt with him was having success within this context. And so the only way Teddy Bridgewater gets better from here is if you improve the context around him. That's just who he is as a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of people that separate uh, quarterbacks into, I mean, they have millions of different ways that they, uh, that they categorize quarterbacks. And a lot of people categorize them as, uh, guys that can go out and win you games single-handedly. And then the next tier down is guys that can win, but they need a little bit of help. And I do think that Teddy is in that, is in that range versus the top range. And it's fine that they needed a, that they, they wanted this season to, to find that out. And I think we did. Um, but you're right. I don't think the, I don't think the cast around him, certainly not from a defensive standpoint. I mean, we, we knew that coming in though, right? Like, is this team any different than we thought? Like, yes, there are small, subtle differences of like, oh, I didn't think Teddy could do this. Or like, I didn't think Robbie Anderson was going to be this type of wide receiver. I didn't think Mike Davis was quite as good as he has been. Uh, you know, what, whoever you want to look at individually. But on a macro level, this team is kind of just where I thought they would be 10, 12 games into the season, which is inconsistent, certainly on defense. Uh, they need their offense to score a ton of points if they're going to compete and win and, uh, and making mistakes that ultimately need to get corrected. Phil Snow just can't win. He, he shut out his team on Sunday, and, and still you're saying that the, the, the defense is deplorable. He's inconsistent. Need, need Listen, they have, they, have, they have incredible yeah, – they I mean, have highs because they're playing like – Joe, Brady, at- Joe Brady's the next coach. He, he's, got a, he's got a bust in Canton. He's scoring six points in the second half, but Phil Snow gets a shutout, and we still tell – we're still talking about how terrible his defense is. I was on this podcast last week defending Phil Snow and, and saying, saying Phil saying, Snow has been better than Joe talking, Brady this year. It's just talking points. It's just talking points. No, it's the not. This is, a, this is an incredibly young defense. 
defense. So this defense is the youngest in the NFL. The amount of undrafted free agents that are playing legitimate snaps for this team is incredible. And for them to go, they are going, they're going to have two week performances where they give up 46 and then they, they give up zero back to back. And I get the op, the opponent makes a big difference in that. But to think that inconsistency doesn't come with a brand new coaching staff, a brand new roster and the, the talent and the youth that's on this defense is, is just, you're looking at it the wrong way. Inconsistency so- comes with the NFL. It has nothing to do with inconsistency is built into the NFL. It is fundamentally a part of the NFL. So the thing that I would say is I, I actually, I'm not uh, riding the fence here because the, the, uh, the fence would not support my girth on this, but I will say, I agree with you a little bit. (laughs) I would agree with a little bit of each of you. One, I would say that I think that some of the inconsistency is because they're one of the youngest defenses in the NFL and because of the just sheer lack of depth that they had. They're trying to build their depth throughout a season. I would also say, I mean, some of it's just the up and down has been a lot just based on who are you playing and what what can they do to exploit you. You know, they didn't have – Detroit didn't have really a good running game. That really, really helped you. Uh, pair off a lot of the ways that teams have cracked you open with a run and then started just destroying you with a pass. But I actually, I'm, I will say I have been incredibly impressed with the competitiveness of this, this team. I, I'm my co-host Stan Norfleet makes fun of me all the time when I say that, but only two games in two games. Have you lost by double digits or more? Every other game has been a one possession game or, or close to a one possession game. I didn't expect that this year. And I think over the final five games of the year, if that defense, if that defense was more about their young talent finally coming into form this last weekend, if it is, then I think they're going to be closer to seven nine or seven and nine than they are to five and eleven. And I had this team pegged at three and thirteen coming in because I didn't know if they added enough talent to get to the point where if the defense develops over the, the final eight games of the year, that it would be able to make this kind of run. But if, if Teddy can stay healthy, it seems like a big if right now you know, with him uh, missing the last game, and if that defense was real, if that defense was more about their progress than it was about the Detroit Lions, I'm not expecting it was. But again, I didn't expect the Miami Dolphins to rattle off five wins in the last eight games last year and get the fifth pick in the NFL draft either. No, I, I don't think we should read too much into the, the performance on, on the macro as far as like this is a defensive unit. As, as far as Matt Rule and, and Coach Snow are, are concerned, I think they got more than they got more than enough to go back into that locker room and sell those guys. And they've got we got a meaningful performance. What we saw to Brian Burns, that that's real. The 20 to nothing against a, a Detroit team that's missing their, you know, that's missing Kenny Galladay, who beat us almost single handedly two years ago. I, I'm not I'm not so Work up. Well, I think Devin so Funches I, had a lot to do with that loss, too. Just FYI. <laughs> Devin, Devin Funches has a lot to do with every loss. So I, I think it's less about being that that was like the definitive thing we're going to see every week and they're going to start shutting people out. They don't have to start shutting people out. They have to stop giving up 28 or whatever, whatever the was 28, 29 points a game. That's what they need to do. And if they if they can trim that margin to now suddenly because the young guys have improved and while by moving to hear Whitehead out of the starting lineup and Jermaine Carter in and maybe a few of the younger guys in the secondary. I know Sam Franklin didn't play on Sunday, but I'm a big Sam Stan. Um, if 
if if they can just get incre- incrementally better down the stretch and the offense can start, I don't know, uh, scoring a, maybe like a touchdown in the third quarter or putting points on the board in the third quarter, they could still – there's still some room to grow even though that room is still capped. And even though, to, to your point, Colin – the wins we expect are still going to come up against the Detroits, the Minnesotas, the Washingtons, the the, uh, who's, yeah, oh, the the Denvers, the teams that we felt like once we get out of this hellia, this hellish stretch of the first 10 games of the season, they might be able to compete up against better teams and get wins. Yeah, this five-game stretch, whether this team was good or awful, was going to be was going to be a tough stretch, no no matter what. And I'm just, I mean, I'm encouraged by the fact that. You see the effort level that we do. And I think we've gotten to the point where, and, and I'm not trying to be down on the, the, the defense at all, but just I'm more about let's look for the Jermaine Carters. Let's look for the Sam Franklins. Look for, let's try and find the guys that are going to supplement the three, the, the three foundational guys that we know are on this defense. And then start build, trying to figure out who are those guys. I mean, Josh, the stat that you tweeted out that all seven uh, draft picks played in, in a week 11 game of their rookie year, that's incredible. I mean, no, nobody getting stashed, nobody getting tucked away. These guys are out there. They're playing football. They're getting That's experience. All seven I mean, draft picks and a bunch of undrafted guys played too. Like this draft class, right. the, the thing is, is that I'm not saying this draft class is like the, the 2017 Saints draft class. I, I don't know how many all pros are going to come out of this draft class. But if you can get multiple contributors, that makes a big difference. And ultimately, you're absolutely right. This season was never about going – nine and seven and eking into the playoffs and getting blown out in round one. The, what this season was about was about finding these young pieces and who can be a contributor next year. Can Troy Pride actually play in the NFL? Can Stan Thomas Oliver, can he play in the NFL? Because when you, you have an idea of, okay, well, now we don't need to go out and find a fourth cornerback because we have one on the roster, and you can kind of pare down these needs to say, okay, well, we need four, five offensive linemen. Uh, and we need a tight, a pass catching tight end and we need a middle linebacker. And, you know, like these, these, we need a defensive tackle, these ideas of what you need specifically. <laughs> I, I, now I'm like just saying Thanksgiving more, grocery more list, everything, yeah. <laughs> but mm, Turkey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and it's like, this is, this is what the season is all about. And you're absolutely right. The effort and getting these guys to buy in and building a brand of a team that, that other, that free agents maybe want to come to in the future that they want to say, hey, this is a team that I can, that I that that is building things the right way that I want to be a part of. Does this mean you guys are out on Ian Thomas? I mean, guys, he's barely into almost his nineteenth year in the NFL and can't do squat. We're a big man hurts podcast, <laughs> so uh, so we feel like the tight end question has been answered. I, I will confess, I was going back and watching some Ian Thomas college highlights going. What was it? You mean it was one, of, exactly. one of the nine catches? Sorry, Ian, if you're listening. Um, I, uh, I, I got to say this. The, so there's only one bigger fan base of, of odd stands of a guy who hasn't done jack squat in Charlotte, and that is of Malik Monk fans. Listen, Malik, I, I personally think Malik Monk is Lou Williams. I think he can be that in the right situation. But it's so funny to me to hear people talk about him and Ian Thomas as if, guys, just wait another week. You're not going to believe what happens in another week. I am going to believe he's going to play 20 minutes. He's going to score eight points. And we're all going to go, ah, I wonder if Malik's ever going to be a really good player in the NBA. Probably not in this context. I feel the same way about Ian Thomas, and now I'm just angry. 
I will point out that I feel like a lot of people would have suspected that we may have been having this conversation about Curtis Samuel at some point as a guy that, you know, Curtis has teased more. Curtis has teased more in his young career than Ian has, but I think that's a fair point. Yeah. But Malik, I mean, Malik at least scored 50 against Carolina, you know, in college, like they, he did have that just (laughs) like in the back of MJ's What you don't think. No. Well, he played in Kentucky. That helps. When you're getting but, out, uh, Nick, out-targeted I by P.J. Walker, sorry. When you're getting out-targeted by P.J. Walker, that's a bad sign. Yeah, well, we joked that Curtis Samuel is, is the tight end in this offense. But, Nick, I want to ask you, because I said, like, I, to me, the hay's in the barn. Like, from a rule and snow standpoint, I'm not worried about points. The fact that they're getting guys – we're seeing guys, undrafted free agents, come in and make these kind of plays. Like, to me, I'm so at ease with where this team is right now in terms of it's a young year. I'm not saying there's not plenty of work to be done, but I'm just in on – I'm sipping the rule late and and I'm fine with snow. I'm not looking to make a move. I I actually want to say I think you're onto something here. We can we can we can have our little critiques and there might be this guy playing but we want this guy to play. If you've watched the first 11 games of the season and you don't think Matt Rule can coach or that Joe Brady can coach or that Phil Snow can coach, I I don't really know what to tell you because I have uh, I so my take on new head coaches is I think we do this dumb dumb thing where we just accept every fan base walks in the door and it just accepts oh this guy can coach and the reality is in 4 years many of these dudes are going to be fired that were hired this off season and that's if it's like 50% of these dudes are going to be gone in 4 years and that's if it's a great year for head coaches so I tried to take the other stance on it, which is I'm just going to be skeptical. I need to be proven right. And I made fun of him for, you know, his collegiate decision, the the fake punt early in the year, which was about as telegraphed as you could get. And then it happened again a couple of weeks ago, but we don't talk about that. Uh, or, or Matt in his inability to just say whatever, I don't want to say the truth is, but just to say something other than like, the five cliches coaches used to, I have taken my shots, but over the first 11 you know, over the first 11 games, you've seen this dude is coaching his ass off and is motivating his ass off with a team that, and I'm not trying to be harsh on this team or, or to put anybody down or to, or to, you know, but the reality is this is one of the three least talented teams in the NFL. And for him to have them in a position now with four wins and there's an I really think there's a decent chance they could go seven and nine down the stretch. Now that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, other than to say if you had told me at the beginning of the season this team could go seven and nine with the schedule they faced early, with the offensive line issues, the defense the, the youth on defense, the turnover on defense, fifty seven percent of the roster turned over, I would have said you're high or or pandering, basically. And CMC's not Anywhere to be found, basically. I mean, exactly. And and Okung's missed so many games. KK Short has been out. So their depth has been tested in a million ways. And he's kept them competitive. And he's kept them in an opportunity to win games where our expectations, for some of us, not not me, I shouldn't speak as if I'm one of them, but people's expectations have changed because of how good they've looked that people have forgotten oh, this is one of the three worst rosters in the NFL when you talk about upper-level talent and depth. So, yes, I I am all in on Matt Rule, and I think to some degree 
when we talk about the third quarter struggles, I think some of it's not necessarily that the coaching staff isn't adjusting, not, not necessarily consistently. I think some of it's just that the other teams are more talented and they can make adjustments in that third quarter that you can't. And it's the adjustments to the adjustments to the adjustments that get this team back in the game and give them a chance to win. I look at where this team Sorry. You're talking about those first 11 games. Now looking at the last five games, what would you like to see this team improve on? I'd like to see more consistency defensively. And when I say consistency, I mean, you're going to be playing opponents uh, like Minnesota, who has an inconsistent offense, like Denver, who Drew Locke is a consistent slappy of the week award contestant for most turnovers in the NFL for a quarterback each week of my show. Um, you're going to be playing Alex Smith, and uh, you know they've got some talent there. But I do want to see in the opportunities where it, the game is a little more evenly matched for the defense, I'd like to see more performances where the defense at least gets a couple stops. That's part of the growth of the defense. Offensively, I'll be honest with you. I just want to see Teddy continue to do what Teddy's done. You can't ask when when you've got an offensive line as bad as this offensive line is or as dinged up as the offensive line is, I don't think you can ask Teddy to do anything more than he's doing right now because it's just – it's not New Orleans. And we have to understand that, like, the final three games of the, his time in New Orleans before Drew Brees came back was the best we have ever seen and probably ever will see of Teddy Bridgewater. It's not what we can expect here in this circumstance until next year, until you get this roster better. So I just want to keep Teddy healthy, and I just want you know guys like Moten and Curtis and DJ and Robbie, as long as those dudes are healthy towards the end and the defense has continued to get incrementally better, they don't have to be one of the – over the final five games, I don't need them to be a top three defense to the NFL – but if you're just not one of the five worst defenses in the NFL up against much better schedule, I think we'll start to feel a little bit better about where the defense is. And maybe guys like Yitor Grossmatos and Derek Brown, I'd like to see them start to get the traditional production, even incrementally, just so that way we go into this saying, all right, here are the six guys on, on defense that are starters. Here are the other five we gotta, we got to go ahead and uh, increase on. As I look at this game against Minnesota, I look at it almost like it's a final exam. Not, not that they've got the best offense, but in terms of their running, being such a run-dominant team. If you're going up against you know, the Hall of Fame quarterbacks and you're untalented and you're playing zone, they're going to be able to pick you apart. But against Dalvin Cook and against this run defense, all these young guys that want to prove that they've got a place – you can play run defense. You just got to gotta show up in the right spot and be there. To me, this is a big game for, for a lot of those young guys to see who else actually is going to stick around and be a part of this, um, this team going forward because it is going to be the toughest rushing attack that they're, that they're facing. Not, and I'm not saying that Minnesota is tougher than, than Green Bay or facing Rodgers. I'm just saying that what the strain that Minnesota is going to put on them this weekend in the run game I think is the most interesting to see because you're trying to find guys that can – they can fit in and and some guys guys better be ready this week i think guys could could maybe uh win or lose some jobs and a slight exaggeration there but in a game like this one no i don't i don't disagree i think that the the three-man front that that phil snow has brought in that essentially just keeps everything in front of them that everybody hates um but has ultimately been able to keep them in a lot of games that is not going to work against uh the minnesota vikings who by the way Fun fact, they average the most yards per play in the entire NFL. So this offense, even if Adam Thielen isn't going to play, 
uh, Dalvin Cook, if they can just contain him, if it's a like a, a sports center in the 90s type situation, like you don't have to stop him. You just have to keep him from, from gouging you for 198 yards and three touchdowns. And if that's the case, then I will be, I feel like I'll be pretty satisfied with their defensive performance, especially with the way that they have struggled to fill gaps and stay in their gaps. And when gaps move, uh, they have been washed out multiple times. Guys like, like Itra Gross Matos, who struggled early in the season in run defense, like Efe Abada, who is an undersized three tech that they have been playing basically out of position that he has just changed his uh, entire playing style. Um, I would like to, if they can hold their own against this Minnesota running game, I feel like that would be a huge success. What was your biggest takeaway from this win against Detroit? Um, that it's a lot easier to beat bad teams. Uh, when <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier to, to beat a team when uh, the, the quarterback has a torn ligament in his thumb and can't throw accurately or when they get a holding penalty on a 50-yard flea flicker that probably would have put them back into the game. Like, this this was this team at the talent level that they're at, just like we've talked about multiple times, they're always going to struggle to stay into games, in games against these top-tier teams. They played five of them in a row, and they got a break, and they played against a bad team that was beat up, and they did their job. They they got out there and, and won, and it is nice to see that, and I do feel like you need some, uh, you need some, some proof that the system works, that when you go out there and you, and you practice hard every day and that the, the three-man front that Phil Snow is running and that, you know, the play calling and that stuff, that it's working. And I, I think they got it. And if it energizes them to go into the rest of the season and to play at that level from an energy standpoint, and a, uh, and, a, and a fundamental standpoint rather than the way they played in the fourth quarter against Tampa Bay, then I think that that for me is another success as we go down the stretch. I think if you squint real hard watching that defense play in the fourth quarter, and then I don't even say the fourth quarter, in that Detroit game, I think you did see how they want this team to look in a long, in like long term. You saw some of the upside there, right? Because while Brian Burns just continues to get better and better each week, you saw them maybe start to take on an extra blitz or two that they wouldn't have done three weeks ago. And, and some of that's much what you said, which was they're playing a worse team with a quarterback who can't throw the ball accurately because of his thumb. But I, I think you saw that there are a couple guys here and that, that when you have favorable matchups, these young guys can have good games. I mean, Yator Gross Matos has been good in the run. He really got after it. F.A. got got after it. Marquise Haynes, all, Zach Kerr had a, a banner game. Now, everybody but Zach Kerr, I think, could be here next year and could be beyond. The names are probably going to change, but what you saw is that I think Phil Snow is the right guy for the defensive coordinator spot and that Phil Snow, when he – I don't want to say even is at an advantage – when Phil Snow is at least as a push, as a, as a defensive coordinator, he can get these young guys heading the right direction. And I, I really – I wish we could watch the Minnesota game right now because I'd love to know how much of that was matchup-based and how much of that is just these young dudes coming about and starting to individually, even maybe not as an overall defense, but individually getting better. A big part of the defensive success, too – 
um, was was third down. The last five third downs uh, that the Lions attempted were third and 10, third and 10, third and 10, third and 20, third and 16. They were in a position to be successful, and they were successful, and Burns got home. The thing about Burns, and I know people, again, we were, we're, we're fitting jackets instantly, but um, for one, 16th pick in the first round, so good job getting uh, talent somehow in the middle of the first round. But um, I think he can be a foundational piece of a pass rush. I don't think that I thought that even entering the season. I thought he could be a good piece of a pass rush, but it seems like he can actually be the foundational guy. I'm curious if you guys think he can be that guy. I think he can. I, I just think it's going to matter on when we see his counter move. Right now, he's getting by with just getting under dudes and getting around the guys. He's starting to – they're starting – you know, certain tackles are starting to challenge him a little bit more. But he – whatever that counter move is, whether that's a – I don't want to get into the minutia of that. Whatever that counter move is, when he has that – A little dip and rip, as the kids say. But – Swim stamp? that – this oh don't get me don't get me football Jones tier bro the but turkey if, leg dark meat that he's been rolling is incredible he's been working on it in practice and I'm telling now you I'm hungry now I'm hungry and horny this is weird <laughs> um I I'll say if he can get that counter move consistently he's a hundred percent more than just a quote unquote speed rusher and and I think the other thing that's underrated here is the other parts of his game has gotten better as well dropping into coverage like we saw on that uh, that screen game where he almost had the interception. Even in the run, he's gotten a little bit better just technique-wise. And that was always the thing. Like, he's always going to be a smaller guy. He's never going to be 260 pounds. But if he can just focus on his technique against the run and just be average against the run, that's enough with his pass rushing abilities to be one of the best players in the NFL. And that's one of those things that can influence it so much because if he, if you don't know that he's going to drop back and he might drop back, then okay, maybe we don't maybe we don't commit the double team because if we commit the double team to Burns and that, I mean that's the that's the kind of impact a guy in your front seven that makes it easier for everybody else. I guarantee it won't be the first time Brian Burns is double team. <laughs> maybe by two men. Yeah, that was my bad. That was my bad phrasing, guys. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> You're wild when you're on a podcast. Um, any other uh, thoughts on this Detroit game before we move on to our own game? We got to talk about Philip Walker. We got to have a little Philip Walker conversation. Huge, <laughs> big Phil. Um, I, I, I'm not interested in the in the, in the, in the Philip Walker taking Teddy's job, but you know what you <laughs> talked about, Nick. You know, a, a, can he be a backup? Um, in, in going forward, he did not look. It did not look like this was too big for him. Again, it was the Lions, but coming in in this spot. I feel I felt encouraged by it, and if they were, you know, I, I'm sorry, but uh, Will Greer, bye bye. Yeah, it's bye bye time. <laughs> Save that one. Didn't Look, feel like you that. can't. You can't. You. I'm sorry. Can you? You guys tell me. I'm gonna do a Cam Newton take on Will Greer, and you guys tell me how wrong I am. If you're a guy who admits that you got an opportunity and you weren't prepared, maybe next season don't show up and looking like a guy that's I don't know not prepared. I, the hair, the beard, all of it. I know it's – I'm sorry. I'm, I'm out. 
I, I have no would need. You, would you have preferred that he showed up in like a suit and tie and clean yes. shaven like the banker look? That's yes. what you needed from Will Greer? Yes. I would like it to look like he hadn't just stumbled from ink and ivy. Yes. He doesn't bring like another for... hair and beard to the stadium. He wears the hair and beard when he walks in. Then he has to wear the hair and beard at the post-game press conferences. He doesn't have the option to put on a team-issued hair and beard. That's what he's got. I'm yeah, I mean, just the, saying, the, if you're the not, not taking sale, care of I'm sorry. The, the take- idea that the idea that sorry, the idea that that uh, that Matt Rule is still in these press conferences saying that he thinks that Will Greer has a spectacular, outstanding future, but he couldn't win the second job over PJ Walker. It's great. I, I understand you got to say that stuff as a coach, but like I'll say it. Like Will Will Greer is is done in Carolina. Like if he if he didn't get the start on Sunday, he can't be on this roster next year, unless you're just going to keep him as a third quarterback. And if you're going to keep him as a third quarterback, then just bring in a seventh rounder or an undrafted free agent. And, no, I, and no I, the other thing to think about is that I'm sorry, but the idea that a, the hundredth pick in the draft is like the, the biggest draft capital, a hundred pick, the hundredth pick busts all the time. And so for us to how think many quarterbacks are taking higher than a hundred in the last decade. I mean, what, is, what are we talking about? CJ Beathard territory here? Who is uh, Mason Rudolph territory here? I mean, look, it's, it's a swing. It's, they took a chance at it. But if you're going to have three quarterbacks next year, give me a vet. Give me a vet and let PJ be the developmental guy. I don't need two young dudes. That doesn't, that doesn't serve me at all. How, how has nobody mentioned Tommy Stevens' name in this? I mean, I feel like we failed. He's the next Taysom Hill or so I've heard. Well, he's, <laughs> that was in the tight end segment. That we needed to talk about Ooh. Tommy Stevens. So he actually he does have a tight that. end. I've been saying that for a while now. We're doing oh wait, come to find out there was a reason that, that Sean Payton was paying playing Taysom Hill. Drew Brees had injured. You mean it, it, it he didn't just love him? Oh. He does love him though. It's yeah, a little, I mean, little creepy. He does love him. He does Yeah, love like him. Taysom Hill is like Sean Payton. Uh, Taysom Hill is to Sean Payton what Oreos are to me. He'd love to stop. <laughs> He'd love to go ahead and say, (laughs) only a little bit of Taysom Hill today, and then he eats a whole sleeve of Taysom Hill, and then he feels bad about himself. We have talked about several different desserts, and Oreos have not come up. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually – they should just call me Oreo Wilson. Just forget this whole Nick thing. (laughs) You know what? If Oreo – if the people from Oreos and Nabisco or whoever the hell owns him now, if they're watching, I will change my first name to Oreo. I will just become like a Harlem Globetrotter from like 20 years ago with a crazy name. I will be Oreo Wilson for unlimited Oreos and a certain amount of money. Okay, but double stuff or, or classic? Double stuffed. And, and, and these purists who are like, oh, classic's better. No, no. More filling, more happiness. More sugar, more happiness. And again, diabetes, thy name is Nick Wilson. <laughs> I like the Halloween I bet you're Oreos. The thin ones. They've got thin ones now. Did you see those? I I I walk past them with my nose raised when I see the thin ones. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm I am not thin, so I cannot have these thin Oreos. <laughs> who 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 is out there like, you know, I want more cookies to my filling. Uh, I'm and, and just does the the stiff arm to double stuffed. Not this guy. Every- not this real American. Everybody knows they've shrunk the, the, the Cadbury cream egg. Like, I'm used to a two, maybe three Oreo system. If I go to those thins, like, I got three. It's like I got a half of one. Now I'm eating six or eight. I feel terrible about myself. I'm right back in the same spot. You might as well grind them up and snort them because they're powder. <laughs> That's all they are. 
Colin, are you having Cadbury eggs with your Easter ham on Thursday? Man, alive. Just, you just got, you, you may want to. That's a hell of a call. That's what happens when you defend I want to stop the video on this apparently. one. <laughs> um, golden Oreos are not Oreos. I just, I did a quick search um, of uh, quarterbacks that have been drafted between, just like in general, between 90 and 120. Uh, and it's not an impressive list. No. It, the third round pick, look, it's just it's better at this point to be gone of a guy that's not a part of your program and stop worrying about a third round capital from three years ago. It's pick 100, it's, it's, 106 it's in 2001 was Chris Winkie. So that's how compare those, compare and contrast Panther legends. I mean, it's it's a, a scratch-off ticket. And this is the problem that because it's a quarterback position, everybody expects every quarterback ever drafted to have some extra meaning because that's how we rate organizations. Look at what, like, everyone wants to point out, like, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has Tom Brady. He has Matt Castle and Jimmy Garoppolo. One of those is a Hall of Famer. Two of those were passable starters in the NFL. He has like seven other – eight, nine, ten other quarterbacks. There's Eric Zier in Cleveland and Todd Philcox in Cleveland. And then, you know, there was Michael Bishop. There was Matt Rohan Gutierrez. Uh, Brian Hoyer. Like, I'm sorry. Like, the, every, every regime takes chances on quarterbacks to see what they can get, and they don't all work out. And it doesn't matter. Listen – Jordan Love was taken first overall by or first overall was 25th overall by Green Bay who traded up to get him while they had Aaron Rodgers on their roster. I guarantee you if Jordan Love is out of the NFL in 3 years, if he doesn't see the end of his you know what Green Bay is going to stay. Well, we had we thought we had a chance to take a franchise quarterback in the future of our franchise and it didn't work out. There's one there's one position where everybody now in the NFL just goes, well, that's the game, and that unfortunately is the quarterback position because it's an absolute crapshoot, maybe even more so than any other position on the NFL or on the field. And just because a guy doesn't work out doesn't mean that your team did anything wrong. He just didn't work out. Except for Marty, I, I think we can all, all say this is the this is the final meatball in the meatball sandwich that is Marty Herney. I, the, the only way I would use this is to get Marty fired. No, no. See, you're you're incorrect. If you would like to blame Marty for a mistake in the 2019 draft, it came uh, 63 picks ahead of Will Greer, which I am more than happy to hang on Marty Herney's head because you traded up for a guy that has now been supplanted as the starting left tackle by not only undrafted free agent Trent Scott, but now you're third on the depth chart between sixth-round pick Dennis Daly. That – is a bust, and to me, that is much more of a fireable offense than taking a shot on your comp pick at 100 on Will Greer, who you – whatever, you graded the guy high, terrific, awesome. I love that pick. You traded up for Greg Little. You hung your hat on that pick, and you missed. And when that happens, that's when you start to – that's when your boss has to look at it and say, hey, man, like you were pounding the table for this guy. We used two second – we used – a second round pick and the same pick that got us Jeremy Chin in the next year. We use those two picks to get this guy. Which you don't get credit for, which you don't get credit for because we're talking about the one that you fucked up. Because we're talking about the, there are so many decisions. I'm sorry. Like this is the problem, Josh, where you say, Hey, look at this. You did this on this day. This is a fireable offense. 
it, it, it's it, there's so many decisions like there's accumulation like it's, it can't be about of course a it's an decision accumulation. anytime anytime you're trying to link a decision to firing your general manager you're not paying attention okay so like do you're I just so link that one or should i link shaq thompson james bradbury uh mac uh, i guess not mac wait what's wrong with shaq uh, thompson tell me what's wrong with shaq thompson uh, tell me what's wrong a with coverage linebacker what making a lot of you pay you a paid a coverage linebacker a lot of money oh Oh, and so now that precluded us from what? What were your goals this season? This is sign James Bradbury. <laughs> okay. Are you are you a are fan you, of Marty Meatballs? How, how can you not be right now? Like, what's the case against him right now? On a totality, like this is the whole thing where you can sit here and pick and nitpick roster moves, draft picks, whatever. You can do that to anybody. You just made that point, Nick. But on the totality of it. The program's headed in the right direction. They're bringing in young guys that are, that are talented and contributing. They're bringing in undrafted free agents. They're talented and contributing. Like, I think they're building, they're building in the right direction here. Do you think Marty made the picks this year, or do you think Matt Rule made the picks this year? I mean, okay. All right. I, I, like, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to – He's no, the general manager both, of the team. That's both, just to be clear. That the, was both. That he's was, the general manager of the team. So. Like, I don't – like, what am – I don't know. Like, so then that means that they're keeping him around. Like I said, to be a meat shield at some point when they want to fire somebody, if he, so that, that, okay, then fine. Like those are the two options. Either he's doing the job or he's not doing the job. That's three. You can't use three. It's too many. I'm tired of these discussions about it happens with the Hornets. It happens with the Panthers where it's like, well, use this cap space, use to do whatever you want. Like I'm just tired. Like this team is heading in the right direction and we want to fire people. No, I just want to fire one guy. I don't want to fire people. On, on the basis of the fact that he, he, he didn't sign a dude for $15 million that doesn't produce turnovers. Yeah, no, on, on the basis that, offense. On the and, basis and the that way, he shouldn't have gotten the second job, uh, the job the second time, he only got the job because he was Jerry Richardson's boy and because Jerry Richardson screwed up by not hiring Brandon Bean when he had a chance and firing Dave so, Gettleman so when he had a chance. So, so no, 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 no. You're saying he couldn't, he, there's no job performance because you were just, you determined from the second he got hired that he was, that he was a bad hire. Okay. No, I determined when he had multiple attempts to rebuild a roster over multiple seasons and every time his plan failed for oh. one reason or another. Oh, well, like if you look making, at the, no, wait, 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 who was making those decisions? Was it, him uh, or was it the, Marty Herney was, was. we're talking about the two years, but when Ron, Rivera was here before oh. Matt Rule showed up. You mean you mean when Jerry Richardson owned the team, who never no, no, no. was involved? No, when Dave Tepper. Oh. Since since Dave Tepper owned the team, Marty had two years to put together a winning team, and his free agent plan never came to fruition. The draft picks, uh, you got DJ Moore from one year, and Dante Jackson, who's still questionable, but two or three years in. And the next year, we just talked about two of the three busts, and the one guy who was, who was the first-round pick? Uh, oh, Brian Burns. So we got Brian Burns right, and then he missed on Greg Little. He missed on Will Greer and a couple other people in that draft as well. So the bad picks are his. The good picks aren't his, but he's the general No, manager. that's not what I'm saying. I, 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 saying. I have a dividing line in when I think Marty became more of a do-boy for Matt Rule, and that's Matt Rule. So I, I tend to give Matt Rule more credit for what has happened the last 12 months than I do Marty Herney, and I judge Marty Herney more severely on what he did from the time Tepper took over to the time that, that Matt Rule got here. And I don't know that there's a move in there or, or multiple moves in there that I think he did a great job at. I think he was 
a below average GM in that year and a half stre- or two years stretch we saw from Tepper taking over to uh, to Matt Rule getting here. So you're talking the first half of 2018 when Cam Newton was playing at an MVP caliber level. We were beating the Ravens, and he was actually inserting himself back in the discussion. So then he got injured, and then. All well, that. but uh, see, t- teams teams have this thing where quarterbacks get injured and they still find a way to be competitive. But it was either Cam has to be healthy and has to play at an MVP level or the team is going to implode. The defensive line got old and he didn't turn over the roster there. I mean, l- I think this last offseason where you lost 57% of your snaps, I think that's a pretty strong indication of trying to continue to do the same thing with the same roster and hope you have different results. Marty didn't draft well enough in, in the time since he's been back. And to be fair, neither did Gettleman. In, in the past couple of years, since 2015, neither of them drafted well enough to allow for Thomas to age out or for Luke to eventually retire or the offensive line to continue to lose guys like Andrew Norwell and things like that. Like, they never and, – and it's a it's combined thing. From 2015 till 2019, they didn't draft well enough to replenish this roster. And when you went to supplement it with the free agency and use all your cap space, those signings didn't work out either. So, yeah, I put a fair amount of that on Marty Herney, not just on the recency bias of, well, I like the way things are right now, so I'm going to give him all that credit. When I had a strong suspicion that one of the things that Matt Rule got – when he came here was he got all the power and we got all the power. That means he gets to have final say. I mean, you get $63 million and for seven years and your GM is on a contract that runs through the next June. I think we know how the power dynamics going to work. Okay. Well, I'm just going to point out that you have a very clear vision of the power dynamic now, but in the past it was all Marty. There was no one else in play, but now he gets no credit and he gets all the old blame. The point is, if you're telling, if you're asking me, do I do I think Rule or Marty's more important? Then then yeah, I think Rule is certainly more important. But I don't understand. I, I just I feel like Marty is in a no-win situation where the team looks good, but he can't get any he can't get any of the credit for any of the things that, that go well. But surely when 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 they didn't pay Bradbury, uh, uh, you know they didn't do this. That was surely that was surely Herney. Well, no, I mean, they, I mean, it's just, it's unfair. They, it's, you, they know, paid you can Shaq. say it's recency bias, but you're painting a, you're painting a situation where Marty Herney cannot win. And that's they fine. Paid Shaq. That's your analysis. They paid Shaq. And that's your bias. And that's not me having recency bias. Okay. They I'm, paid Shaq mm-hmm. at the end of December before Matt rule was hired. They paid a coverage linebacker at the end of a lost season, knowing that there was going to be a new regime heading into so that is a Marty decision. So yes, I do. And, and uh, because of the financial situation with the dead cap, which is a culmination of bad decisions by both Gettleman and Marty Herney, because of that, it was pretty much, well, we can re-sign Shaq or we can re-sign James or we can re- there were a limited scope of guys that you could re-sign because of the way the cap had been run in part by Marty previously. So yes. So, 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 so yeah, so you're the new owner. And you're, you know you're getting ready to turn things over, and you're going to let the, the GM that you don't think is very good, you're going to let him sign a deal like that. Oh, no. December, wait, right wait, wait. Nobody said, nobody said that Dave Tepper thinks that Marty Herney isn't good. Like, no, Dave no, Tepper I'm, thinks no, that I'm Marty Herney is good. No, no, no. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. 
Because I, because no, I'm understand. saying that's a David Tepper decision. If you're about to have a changeover of your entire leadership, which they were about to do, which we all knew they were about to do, uh, I, are you letting them sign that deal? Are you? Would you let them sign that deal right before you're is out the door? No, no, but I'm not David oh. Tepper. Oh, okay. I think but, it's. A, I no, think. It, I think it was a ridiculous decision to make in the first place. Okay, but so now, but this is. But did, what what marching orders did he have? What 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 power play was it? Protected? We need to sign what, a veteran what, leader. What can we? That, right, a veteran so leader let me that just you. stood up by the way a week ago and told everybody that wasn't good enough. And then the result was the next week we get a twenty to nothing shutout. You don't pay guys because of leadership. You pay them based on their ability and positional importance. I would that's, ask you. That's ridiculous. What what has what is my, let's let's take ridiculous. let's take this year off the table, okay? Okay. What is Marty done going into this? Over the last uh, – since Jerry Richardson brought him back plus the Dave Tepper years, what has Marty done where he should still have a job and he shouldn't have been fired with Ron Rivera? Well, I don't know because I don't know what decisions I'm allowed to say he made and which ones he didn't say he made. Oh, I'm please. No, I, I, it's your creative license. I like, the, I, like the, I like the drafts. I like what they've been doing. I like what they're building. I like the cumulative effect. I like. I would not have made the pick of Brian Burns. I think Brian Burns is a massive is a massive piece for this team, and I would not have made that pick at sixteen in the first round, and and they did. That's a big hit. Cam Newton, the biggest hit in the history of this team, Marty Herney. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't get any credit for that. One. My thing is that I, I think that they they brought in this entire new regime, this entire new era of. Carolina Panthers and Marty Herney is a holdover from the previous era, whether it's Jer whether you want to think of that as the Jerry Richardson era, whether you want to think of it as the Ron Rivera era. And, and if you are going to fully embrace this new era, I think it's, and, and that may be that, that that's the other thing is we always, we go so micro and granular on this stuff. The plan may have always been, Hey, Marty's going to stay here this year because Matt rule needs somebody that knows how to work the roster, how to get these contracts set up. Like he needs a veteran GM that knows what he's doing in here. And then in the next couple of years, we're going to slowly transition and make this trade over into whether it's Pat Stewart, whether it's somebody else, whoever it's going to be. If that's the case in three years, we're going to look back at this one year little transition with Marty when Marty is the team president or uh, uh, some sort of new, um, some sort of new, uh, like, VP of uh, meatballs. Yeah. See, see, exactly. Some sort of new position that they're going to give him. That's totally fine. And he can be a senior advisor as part of this team. But I think that, you know, when you look at it right now at, with him as the general manager, you look at all the pieces of the puzzle and he kind of stands out as somebody that it seems like will eventually be moving on. We're all, we'll all eventually be moving on. I, I just think yeah, it's, I just some, think it's some sooner than others. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm of the I opinion. Get it, guys. I, think, I think this, I think you trying to diabetes. do this, what we're doing here, what, we're, what we've been doing here, fighting about this, it's fine for us to do it. But if they are fighting within that building about who's getting credit for stuff, that's no good. Like, oh, no, they're not doing that. And discuss. They're not I, doing I it in the building. We're doing it on the show. Like we, we fight well, about, we're, we're we fight about who gets credit. They're not doing that. They don't care. Matt and Marty have a great oh, they relationship. Care. Oh, Marty they and care. Tepper have oh, a great relationship. Tepper and Matt have a great relationship. They all well, seem to like each other. Why is he a over? Big... Why isn't he a dude that just used to work here too? He's just because he's that's what he is. With everybody, he's a transitional piece. <laughs> um, this could be probably like a seven-part podcast series, so we'll work on that for you guys, and we'll put that out <laughs> later this year. Um, before we wrap things up, we are going to do a very quick game. It's going to be Thanksgiving sides. Every year, the tradition of asking Panthers players 
what their favorite Thanksgiving side has endured and will continue for the rest of time. So we're going to do comparisons. Which player is which Thanksgiving food? So each of you get to pick three Thanksgiving foods. I'm not going to give you specific ones because I know you probably have three you really want to talk about. So I think Colin wants to talk about ham for sure. Oh, just, he has thoughts. Just so versatile. It's its ability to 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 be with the cranberry sauce, the gravy, the it, it just works so well. I mean, it's you know, I think it's gonna catch on. 2021, y'all all be on this ham for Thanksgiving thing. Just yes, y'all wait. <laughs> Not doing it. <laughs> tried. I tried to, I tried to make myself believe that one, y'all. You ham sold ham. Marty Herney better than you did ham. <laughs> 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 I like meatballs more than ham. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. All right, Josh, we're going to start with you. Sure. How about this for ham? Because I'm actually just going off the cuff, and I'm not sure if this really works. But ham, can Trey Boston be ham? And I'll tell you why. Obviously, you have the fact that he likes to dance and celebrate, and he's and he's he's kind of a la- one of the loud guys on defense. So that plays into the ham hamminess of him. But also, just like you said, Ham fits in on the Thanksgiving table, but maybe it's not necessarily something that you build around. And I think that Trey Boston, he fits into the secondary, but I'm not sure that he is a foundational piece of this secondary going forward. And I do think that he is playing a role this year. Maybe he could have been roles. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm not sure that he is the turkey of the secondary. Well done. Mm. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with green bean casserole, and green bean casserole is never drafted at Thanksgiving, right? Like it's always the thing that people are like, "All right, we got our turkey, we got our stuffing, we've got our mac and cheese, maybe we got some ham if we're in a you know uh, a a bad place. We've got our, our corn, and then somebody's like, "Oh, I forgot the green bean casserole." in the oven and then they pull it out and everybody's like, Oh, well that's the last thing you add to your plate. And that is Sam Franklin to me because Sam Franklin's not the guy that you took with the number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven pick. But once you get it on your plate, you can't get enough Sam Franklin. Right. And sure. Occasionally you're going to get one of the hard pieces of the casserole to chip your tooth like that Tyreek Hill touchdown a couple weeks ago. But by and large, you sit there thinking, I think I'm about to have seconds of green bean casserole. And that's Sam Franklin to me. Very well done. Very well done. Colin? I believe this counts as a side, and I think it's important. We have to remember that this team is is not always going to be composed of just, just the great you know, turkeys, the, the meat, you need the things that bind them on a roster. You need lots of guys uh, that, that will bind. The, the nameless offensive linemen, the J.J. Jansons of the teams, they are the roles. You, you have chaos going on, but you can, you can have some little order and just a little, little tasty morsel, a little tasty bite. You just need those guys, though, to be there. If you don't have roles, you just got, you just got items running all over. You got nothing to sop up. You need the rolls, even though, much like green bean casserole, underrated, and people try not to give you side credit for bringing them. I will tell you, I do have rolls, and uh, people do not appreciate my rolls. <laughs> <laughs> They're not Hawaiian, King. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone else have one that they're just dying to say? This guy right here. Stuffing. Mm. All right? You can't Stuff have – 
thanks. Uh, uh, call it what you want. I'm going to call it, you know, edible and in my tummy by the end of Thanksgiving. And but stuffing's underrated, right? Because sure, stuffing isn't turkey, right? There's some people who think they can get away without having Thanksgiving, without having stuffing or dressing on the table. Sure. But then when you get there, and okay, maybe you have mac and cheese. Maybe you got your green bean casserole. Maybe you got uh, some cranberry sauce. Like maybe you got your, your turkey. But you know what? There's going to be multiple people saying, this isn't Thanksgiving without stuffing. And that's Teddy Bridgewater to me. Teddy Bridgewater isn't turkey. All right? He's not ham. He's not the main dish. But too many people focus on the fact that he's not the main dish to realize that stuffing is the absolute necessity. You need to have a Teddy Bridgewater, and I get it. Maybe other quarterbacks. Mahomes, he's turkey. Mahomes is ham. But I would much rather have Teddy Bridgewater as stuffing than have, like, uh, I don't know, Drew Locke is green bean casserole. I like that. I like that a lot. I think we're going to end it there. We're, we're ending it there. Uh, Nick, where can people find you on the airwaves and on the social medias? You can find me on the social medias. Pretty much any place that at Nick Wilson says that's on Instagram, that's on Twitter, that's on um, I don't, uh, OnlyFans. Um, and then uh, weekdays. Where your roles are appreciated. <laughs> oh, I don't know if appreciated, but witnessed is definitely something that they witness it. Uh, but then WFNC from 2 to 7 every single weekday. And uh, we talk sports. And I also make food-related orgy references there, too. <laughs> Colin? Yeah. You know, I just realized, I think I think mashed potatoes. This, I realize why I'm so stressed about this. About this. It's because, of the, it's because of the Hornets. It's because of the combo platter of my GMs right now is why I was so stressed. Um, and I think uh, – uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Colin CLT. And I do think, did we deduce that mashed potatoes are overrated if everybody else on the plate is underrated? I feel like the underrated, overrated talk about Thanksgiving sides is like, it, it's pretty much, it gets to a point where it's like, they're all properly, they're all, it's all delicious. Like, are there, are there a lot of Thanksgiving sides where you're like, oh, that's gross. Is it like, which one is, which is the worst Thanksgiving side? Did we talk about that? I know we're close. Anything to the with show, gelatin. But... Yeah, that's the yeah. only bad thing. The gelatin is the only place you can go wrong on Thanksgiving. Yeah, like an ambrosia salad. But those are yeah. Things, I was right? trying to think of the name of it. That's that's what it is. That's or it. or uh, yams. I just yams. Well, I don't get yams either. Well, well, most yams are sweet potatoes, and sweet potatoes are delicious. But yeah, that that, that, that gelatin that was just getting the back of your throat and just kind of spin around back there while you try to force it down. That's less lovely. I had a college roommate who loved ambrosia salad so much that he would buy it from Harris Teeter and eat it with a spoon when he came home drunk uh, at 2 a.m. And yes, it was disgusting. And uh, no, I'm not going to apologize for saying his name on the air. Jason Winicky, it was gross. There it is. You're listening. <laughs> Jason, you're a problem. Yeah. Be better, Jason. Be better. Josh, any uh, notes or anything that the folks need to know at home? At Josh Klein Rules, Twitter it up. Tweet it. Twitter it up. Twitter it up. And I'm Nikki704. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network. Oreo Wilson, your one day contract is up. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Be smart out there. Pour gravy over the whole plate. That's the best Russell Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> the rolls. <laughs>